This is the good, the Baz, and the ugly. I'm the Baz. Well, that no, I'm Baz. That sounds weird if I go around calling myself the Baz. Anyway, uh, look, this podcast is filled with uncensored interviews with experts in particular fields or real-life stories from people who have inspiring personal tales to tell. It covers various topics and life stories that I've really dug, you know what I mean? And I think you'll dig them too. Just so you know, this podcast is for grown-ups, or at least people over 18, as it may contain adult themes, sexual references, and strong language. Fuck yeah! You didn't need to curse. No, I just wanted to. Sheet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. Hold it now, wait, hold it. I know you're gonna dig this. I think the best thing for me to do is to introduce him. What the... What's his name? Baz Ashwami. It's not Baz Ashwami. It's Baz Ashmawi. Welcome to the good, the Baz and the ugly. Uh, it's episode 28. There's a certain sense of freedom in the room, isn't there? Oh, yeah. It feels different. It does. Like, I can lick walls. I can I can do what I want. Everyone everyone has a kind of... Uh, uh, everyone uh, took uh, their mask off. Well, I think it's more than a mask. It's an emotional mask that's been lifted. Like, you still have to wear your mask going into the shops and everything. But it feels like it never happened. Do you get that feeling? I'd love to say, yeah, but it fucking definitely happened well yeah no it definitely yeah. did happen but it feels like i don't think i think we're just going to move on with it now <laughs> i feel like i'm ready for an adventure of some sort i haven't left this country in four years three years is it like being able to walk around the house nude wednesdays you mean wednesdays nude that's Wen- that's that's why it's called <laughs> nude wednesday John John. yes it is it is that freedom. that freedom yeah and i just feel like i don't know i feel very positive God. i feel like good things are coming yeah, baby. I'm going to plan some adventures. With that in mind, um, uh, a friend of you know Calvin quite well, don't you, John John? Do, yeah. yeah. So, so we, I, I'd met Calvin before, and I, um, and John John uh, obviously knows him very well. But Calvin James is a he's a Dublin-born DJ and kind of social care worker who's he spent time out in in 2016 living and volunteering as a medical assistant in uh, in Syria. And um, before heading to Syria, he lived here in Dublin uh, working. In a, in a social care with a wide range of clients from like patients with everything from dementia, autism, young offenders to those even suffering with just like drug addiction. Uh, he's also uh, an avid traveler. He He's visited Cambodia, which is, I was saying to someone earlier on, is the wildest place I think I've ever traveled. I've never been. The Phnom Penh is a crazy, dark, mad city. I always got the impression, I've been to Thailand whenever I met people who'd been to Cambodia, I always got the impression it was this kind of zen place, but it's not that, no? No. No, no, no. It's... It's Cambodia it's, where you it's, blow up things with bazookas? Yeah. Okay. Y- yeah. Okay. You, you, if you're... You can, people have been known to blow up cows. Oh, yeah, they, you pay them $50, yeah, yeah. they'll oh, give you a bazooka. And you... Pardon? Oh, God. I thought you said, uh, thank God. I was like, <laughs> what do you got to get... This is Ireland. You can't say that about cows. We're very... Yeah, but but back in the day, you could do that. You can buy heavy artillery usually. So yeah, yeah, but it's it's just a wild. It has a wild, edgy place. But but um, because of uh, Paul Pot and everything that happened there, it, Paul it, it, Potts. yeah, Paul Pot. Paul Potts was the guy from Carrefour. Where is he? <laughs> 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 who's Britain's got Who's it then? What's his name? Paul Potts. <laughs> who is it? Who am I getting mixed up with then? It is Paul Pot, is it? Maybe it's Paul not. Pot and Paul Potts are probably two very, very different people. Paul Pot, yeah. <laughs> Paul Pot. 
So, um, so yeah, because of what he did and that kind of mass genocide, it has a weird um, kind of dynamic to the place. But but um, there's a lot of women and a lot of orphans, and it's just a wild. It's like the Wild West or something. But it's an amazing country as well with amazing people. But anyway, he spent a lot of time out there um, with his younger brother, and they started the Scoop Foundation um, with it to kind of help make a difference. Uh, he established a, a serious vibe campaign that aims to blend his kind of he's a DJ obviously so his passion for music club nights and festivals with helping his kind of colleagues and the people he met uh, and has come to respect and care for uh, and helping a lot of people uh, we had uh, he's I haven't met anyone like Calvin and you'll see why I had a very very interesting amazing chat this is that chat Calvin, you crazy, crazy man. I'm very happy you're here. Happy to be here too. And you're one of the first guests back for the new season that's actually in close proximity with me. Is that allowed? First person in a long time. In, in ages, because all the others. Actually, I'm feeling awkward. I might put you on Zoom just to, <laughs> just to break yeah, me behind in. Behind the screen. Behind the screen, behind the screen. <laughs> I, I like this so much with you, man. So I, where do I start? I suppose we start with, um, when did this interest originally, or this kind of fascination you have with dark tourism, where did that start? Guess I better start at the start. So I, I uh, was born in Dublin, grew up in Cordoff in Blanchestown. And when I was a kid, I was mad for these adventure comics, you know, where the hero would be, you know, he'd set off in the middle of the night and he'd get into a dinghy in Norway and he'd row to Germany and he'd climb a cliff and he'd get into a castle and then toss the Viscount out the top. I was like, I want to be that guy when I grow up, you know? Like a cross between Tintin and Indiana Jones. You went the more pretty Indiana much, Jones version much. of it. Yeah, go on. Pretty much. So then uh, when I was 12, I moved to uh, the vanilla wasteland that is uh, Carpenter's Town. <laughs> and with puberty and adolescence, I guess, you know, kind of the, the further you got into it, the less appealing the military life is. So hang a, or hanging around Carpenter's Town, you just hung outside the, the local spar and you just had your hand down your jocks, scabbing smokes off people and just spitting around the place. So um, so just shortly after I moved there, I was shipped off to boarding school because I had a pretty shady primary school record. <laughs> and um, What's a shady primary? <laughs> I have uh, a shady primary school I, record, but what's your shady primary I, school I got record? suspended. Uh, and like what I got to spend it for was fucking bollocks. So I was the first kid in my school to have a can of Lynx. And it wasn't Lynx Africa, it was the green one, whatever that was, Java, I think. Java. And the, the teacher went out of the classroom and I just sprayed it around the place. And he came back, like, you know, kids would do that, you know, all the time yeah. nowadays. And he threw a shit fit and there, there was a rat in the class and he ratted me out straight away. <laughs> so then I had to stand up against the wall and then during the break, someone flushed a tea towel down the toilet. It was this other kid who I didn't row. Uh, but I got the blame for it. So I ended up getting suspended for two weeks over that. And my grades were shit anyway. So just when it came to going to secondary school, no school would really take me. So I was shipped off to, to boarding school. And when I was there, I, I didn't really feel like I fit anywhere, you know, because whenever I went to school, like they knew I grew up in Blanche, they'd be like, oh, here's that fucking lacquer, you know? And then I'd go back uh, to Carpenter's Town and say, well, you pot. <laughs> like, man. I cannot wait to get out of here and away from all he is, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's a loss of identity with that when you move yeah, around like that, yeah, right? Isn't there? Because yeah. you're, it's usually, because I was similar, but it's usually 
you're trying to find out who you are and hence that's why you're yeah, kind of yeah. fighting and even now there. even now in life you know like I, I don't hang out with anyone from from Cordoff, from Carpenter's Town from primary school secondary school so uh, one of the, the mates his brother just come back from Australia you know he was slightly older than us and you know he was like oh it's fucking daddy so I was like right Australia here I come so what age were you then? Well, I just finished school I was 18 okay. so didn't even go to me Debs no plans to go to college. I got a job in a computer warehouse and I was like, I'm off to Australia. So I was looking boxes around for a few months and then I decided to go around the back way uh, through South America because I always liked the cut of Brazil's jib. I loved, I loved the way you say you, you went to the back way of Australia, like it's Nutgrove Shopping Centre or something. <laughs> what is the back way of Australia? Yeah, so I went to uh, Brazil, started in Brazil and uh, work my way around so there is an excitement there is an excitement to travel because i love travel right and there is an excitement to somewhere that has an edge to it mm. you know somewhere where you you know you lose your fancy watches and your fancy bags and you just like have a plain t-shirt and some shorts and yeah. a little backpack with very little cash yeah and you walk there is a there is a rawness to go into those places that yeah. other people avoid yeah. is that what dark tourism is is that kind of Kind of, yeah, you know, because again, like to see the world, I want to see the whole world, you know, the good, the bad, the bad, uh, yeah. and the ugly. And just, you know, if you want to see some of the shady places, like it's really best done by someone else who's really into it or by yourself. So, what um, was the first place then, Calvin? What was the first place that you went to? I, I got back to Ireland and I went to Ballyfermot uh, and I started studying photojournalism. And I said, right, I'm going to become a photojournalist. And so uh, for my project, I decided I was going to go up to Belfast and photograph all the murals. So I didn't like college. There was a lot of kind of extra fat on it, like learning about politics. And like even for my politics module, like for the for the, the project, I ended up just like copy and pasting a full Wikipedia article and going, mm. like, didn't even take the page numbers out. That's how engaged I was in it, you know. So then I was like, you but know, you like the creative side of it. You like. You like yeah, I just I just wanted to get out there, you know. So uh, at the time, um, there was the second Intifada happening in Palestine. Um, so I was like, right, I'm going to go over to that. So got on a plane to Tel Aviv and uh, no contacts over there, no fixer, no nothing. And it was pretty lit, you know, like when, when I arrived, um, it was Independence Day. You're walking down the street and like, you know, there'd be a father and a son, you know, just walking down and like the father would have this M16 with a rocket thing mounted on the bottom and the kids carrying an Uzi, you know, and they get the spar and they have to leave them outside. And it was just like, that's a fucking nine-year-old with an Uzi, what? You but know? you were under no illusion going there. You knew the, the kind of political temperature of the place before you went or was it a yeah, shock when you got as there? As much as the next person, but yeah. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. You know? So, um, and then I was back in Jerusalem and um, I was near that, what's that wall? Uh, the wall mm. and uh, there was a bit of bit of a, a rumble between the Israelis and uh, Palestinians and this Israeli soldier just started wailing down on this Palestinian so I started taking photos of him and when you say wailing down I was booking him with his his gun you know okay I was beating the head off him like uh, so I went up and you know I was pretty close I started taking a photo and your man looked at me you know and was just kind of like what are you doing you know and as, as he was getting booked, so I, I, I felt pretty ashamed of that, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it, it, uh, in some cultures they say, like, when when someone takes a photo of you, they're stealing a bit soul, of your soul. Yeah. Like, that just resonated with us, like, oh man. And even if, you know, that photo got published and, you know, it was able to highlight the hypocrisy of Israel and the brutality they inflict on the Palestinians, it still wouldn't have sat right with me that 
I had to do that to him mm. and he had to pay that price for that to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I kind of walked away from that going, actually this whole war photography thing, I don't think it's for me, you know? So I got back into like normal life in Dublin. I started working in bars and then um, I started going out with a girl and um, yeah, like I was kind of DJing as well. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do at this stage, you know? So uh, I, uh, myself and her herself, just before we broke up, you know, like um, I just, I didn't want to work in building sites anymore. Uh, the old DJing was catching up with me. So she was like, do you know what would be great? You should get into the care work, you know, you'd be a great carer, you know? So this is back in 2007 or something. So, um, so I got my first job in a, in a nursing home when you needed no experience whatsoever. You needed no qualifications, no experience. It was like, look, can you, can you wipe an arse? <laughs> like, yes. I was like, okay, in you come. Mm -hmm. So I did that and I loved it, you know? And then, uh, so. Who were you caring for? Uh, people with dementia. Kind of found where I wanted to work, you know? So then I was working with young people with uh, uh, behavioral and emotional difficulties, sometimes insecure care, and then, um, so, you know, that girlfriend, I have a lot uh, to thank her for, you know, but then we broke up in 2008. And again, while I was with her, went to some of the nice places, you know, went to Positano, went to Barcelona, did all that. So now I was footloose and fancy free again. So I was like, right, I'm going back. So uh, I volunteered in Uganda for this charity called Nurture Africa, a fantastic charity um, run by an Irish nurse. He's an absolute G um, in Kampala. So I was like, right, I'm gonna, and like usually when I go to a place, I like to kind of overland into different countries, you know? So like when I went to Uganda, I said, look, I'm gonna fly into Kenya first and then go overland into Uganda. Sure, yeah. And then I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna overland somewhere else, you know? So uh, yeah, this was- So you were trying to morph it being a carer and also your need mm. to go to crazy places. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So then, um, I, my brother set up a charity uh, that year uh, called the Scoop Foundation and he was building schools in Cambodia at the time. So I was like, well, look, I'm going to Africa. Let's look for something in Africa, you know? So um, after we finished my, my volunteer stint, I said, right, I'm going to go up to Gulu. So Gulu was the capital of Joseph Kony's Lord's Resistance Army's world. So um, came across this NGO of uh, young lads so uh, I got chatting to them and they were irrigating the, the local fields and stuff. And then uh, one of the lads tells me he was like a former child soldier. So um, um, yeah, so we actually didn't end up doing anything in Uganda, you know? So um, I ended up going back home. Yeah. So we just kind of walked away from Africa and then uh, I went back to Ireland and yeah, went back to working in care. Mm -hmm. So tell me this, when you, when did when did you decide that this was something that you were gonna focus on and do full time? Like it, it, that you wanted to get back on the road and go to because I know you spent time in Syria, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, again, like while while I was caring, um, you know, I was working in a school as well, so I got the long summer holiday. So for my brother's charity, says right, I'm gonna cycle West Africa for my brother's charity, and again, it just shows like my you know lack of foresight and planning. So I was like, right, I'm gonna pick Nigeria and I'm cycling to Senegal and I'm doing it between these months. So arrived in Nigeria, Nigeria's a hoot as well. And then um, crossed over into Benin, got robbed at the border by the border guard and then reported him to his superior officer and 
he was like, have you got any more money? He was like, oh my God. <laughs> What am I doing? Because <laughs> just, just as you say that, I, like as you said, because you said, and your man was a bit shady. Like the world that you're kind of delving into, it's all a bit shady, right? Yeah, so even yeah, yeah. like even getting visas into some of the yeah, places that yeah, you've travelled yeah, to, yeah, yeah. it's all backhanded. I know from going to Egypt, like yeah, you know, yeah. and spending time there, and I I was out in Chad. There's a lot of you know money and passports and all that the whole way yeah, is like, that kind of the world that you were living in yeah like i i so i got stuck in togo and they're trying to get a, a visa into ghana and i could have sorted my Ghanaian visa out here a friend of mine was friends with the consulate whatever you call them i could have got it done for free in 10 minutes but i was like no no i'll, I'll wait till i get to lagos and get it so he was in nigeria i was like you know one visa to ghana please and they're like no <laughs> okay where do i get one they're like you're gonna have to go to togo and get it so I'm in Togo after getting robbed in Benin, and um, there was a series of Muslim holidays and Christian holidays and national holidays and all of this. So it was like I was going to be stuck there for three or four weeks if I, you know, couldn't get a visa sorted. So um, a, a, a friend that I met, he told me, he's like, "Well, look, you know, they give them on the border for special cases, you know." So I was like, "Special case? How can I make myself a special case?" So I was like, well, "They're all Jesus mad out here, you know." So, and I had a Northern Ireland top, <laughs> the training top, you know? So I was like, if I pretend I'm a priest and I rock up to the border and go, you know, yay, so. <laughs> so I rocked up to the border and, you know, I had, a, I had a Bible and everything. I had a kid out in the street. I was like, get us a Bible. You got me a French one in the end. <laughs> so I had me beads and me, and me French Bible. So I just walked up really somber, you know? And uh, it was like, fill out your name. I'm like, Father Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, where are you from? Stony Bar Parish, all this shit, you know. <laughs> so um, so I got to the border guard and I'm like, yay, brother, Christ be with you. And he's like, what do you want? I'm like, kind of hoping I can, you know, get a visa. He's like, no, 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 you have to go. I was like, oh, fucking please, man, come on. So I offered, I tried to dash him 50 quid, uh, which he usually does it in West Africa, but he was having none of it. So then I had to go into the office and just go down on my knees going, help, my sister's getting married. And, you know, I fucking ended up, overlanding instead of flying directly into Ghana. So like, oh, I'm going to bring so much shame to my family. And you're one, she, she nearly started crying. She's like, oh, I feel your pain. Oh, I will do this for you. Just give me a hundred quid. <laughs> okay, yeah, you fucking. Like West Africa is so much different than East Africa. Like you cannot take a piss without bribing someone in West yeah. Africa. So when I, I bought my bike in Ghana and I was on my way and uh, the fellow I was staying with, he was a gold, gold prospector from Dublin. Uh, absolute mad bastard living out there and he's like well look if you go to country to country into each embassy going hmm, can I have a visa please he's like man it's going to ruin your life he's like tell you what my secretary you know because they're working in Sierra Leone and Ivory Coast and stuff he's like just give my secretary a few hundred quid she'll sort it out here but she buzzed off around for the day and came back with it stacked every visa that I needed you know and what was the what was the like, I just love the fact that you've a briefcase full of full of different identities that you just pull out of it. Good day, mate. Well, no, hold on a second. I'm just, I'll just go back to uh, like something from Mission Impossible. What what was the what was the goal as you were traveling? Were, were you just kind of again just trying to see all the world, you know, one country at a time, you know, and just see what happened? You were just kind of God. It's brave yeah, to do that, yeah, man. Yeah. It's brave to just go out there and just. Just yeah. getting in, get in a literal adventure. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. How was all this kind of received by your family and your friends and things? Again, just, you know, like, because um, this was 2013 when I did that. And then in 2012 was the first time I went to Iraq. 
you know, Iraqi Kurdistan. And when I went, I was just like, right, I'm off to Iraq. And they're just like, all right, see ya. <laughs> you know, they're, they're really just kind of used to it, you know. So I went, I went there and it was February coming into March, but it was just the worst weather I'd ever, because I, like, I was like, a friend of mine worked for the Red Cross in Iraq. So I'm like, am I allowed to wear shorts? I'm like, I've got t-shirts. And she's like, you dickhead. It was like, you're up there now. It's like, it's gonna be pissing snow where you're going, you know? Like, really, <laughs> you sure? So then, uh, lo and behold, when I got there, it was just the worst snowy, sleety, like, you know, there wasn't even any daylight the whole time I was there. I absolutely hated it. Didn't get into any, uh, any trouble or have any problems, really, you know? Kurdistan, you know, it's a great place, but uh, at the time, it's the worst place I'd ever visited, you know, and when I left, it was like, right, I am never going back to that Cape ever again, and thank you, you know, I've ticked it off the box, that's one, done, see you later, and then, lo and behold, 10 years later, it's my most visited country in the world. Mad, yeah. <laughs> and how did, you, how did you end up choosing kind of Syria? How did that come about? Uh, well, there was, there was many factors. Syria wasn't actually in that book, <laughs> Oddly enough, he missed the <laughs> missed the pony Sy there. Syria was 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 a grand spot back then, you know. I guess it was a culmination of a lot of things, you know. Um, again, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, you know. I, I burnt out of working in care, which happens when you're working in a in a high level, intense environment. So I was just like, oh, I can't do this anymore, and I didn't want to go back. I did a bit of building. Uh, DJ and I was just like, oh, I'm not, I don't want to be relying on that, you know. So I was just like, what, what the fuck am I going to do with my life? So I went up to bed and I got, a, I got an email or a Facebook message off this guy called Zagros that I met in my Kurdish trip in 2012. So we became Facebook friends, and then uh, it's a very Kurdish thing just to send you, you know, those stickers. It's just like a bunny rabbit shaking a heart. Yeah, and yeah, all this yeah, stuff. yeah, so yeah. He just yeah. starts lashing these at me. He was like, oh god. And then you know, January. 15th, happy Christmas. It's like, man, you're a fucking melt. <laughs> so I just I saw my Facebook, it was like a message from him. So I was like, I'll look at that tomorrow. So I woke up that night and uh, opened me Paddy Power to see if anything had come in. I had one, two grand. So I was like, ah, Daddy, let's see what Zagros has to say. So I clicked on that and he's like, yo, man, do you want to, do you want to go out to Syria and fight ISIS? And I was just like, wow, this is very different to your usual. <laughs> Shite that you send me, you know. Hold so on, say again. It yeah. said what? He's like, do you want to go out and fight ISIS in Syria? So I was like, actually, you know what? Like, you know, and again. Why though, Calvin? What, like, as in I'm bored as fuck or as in it's something I want to do or as well, in, like, I, it wasn't even someone you really connected with. Well, you know coming I mean? back to when I was a kid, yeah. reading my adventure magazines, I always, you know, this was in peace times. And I was always like, you know, if anything like the Nazis ever happened again, I want front row seats at that. But when that came, and like again, I just, I didn't know what I wanted to do in life, didn't know where I was going, and I was just like, yeah, fuck it, I'll do that. But then, so I was like, how do I do this? And he's like, right, get in touch with this woman in Germany, click on this page. So I clicked on the page and it was like YPG International, and it was just all these, you know, Europeans and Americans all tooled up, you know, fighting ISIS. But then, you know, reality said, I'm like, you're not a fireman, you know what I mean? But I was kind of thinking that international humanitarian logistics would be an avenue that I could explore. It's a very difficult industry to get into. It's a lot of training, a lot of experience needed. So I was like, well, look, I don't want to go out fucking grenades at people, but like any chance I can become a part of the machine, you know, like working logistics or in the back. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I got in touch with this woman. She's like, yeah, that's fine. When can you come? I'm like, uh, a couple of months. She's were like, you, sorry, just quickly, were you in any way wondering to yourself, because, like, you know, uh, a white hostage uh, from Ireland, you know, were, was there any part of you thinking, this could be a complete setup, me going out there, and then I go off and I meet someone there, and next thing I get a bag over my head and they take <laughs> me away and make a, you know, throw me in a cell or well, something? that didn't happen until I got there. So I, I'd made all the arrangements, and I'd, I'd gotten in touch with a couple of the lads who were doing it, you know, and I was like, this lad is in the photo, managed to find some of them, I'm like, look, is this legit? And they're like, yeah, yeah it is, don't worry about it. So Hold your horses for a second, <laughs> I have too many questions. When, you, when, you, when you'd made the decision yourself to go, yeah. right, fuck it, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna follow this email, uh, I'm gonna talk to the woman in Germany, I'm, I'm going. Did you tell anyone you were going? I did, and that was a big mistake, because everyone thought they were like, right, Calvin's finally lost his fucking mind. <laughs> and uh, again- I'm like, nodding in case people can't, can't <laughs> I'd, I'd be the same if I was your, your, your brother or your auntie or whatever, then, come on. Uh, but my mother was dead, which made it a lot easier. And again, you know, told my dad, and my dad, he was just like, all right. I'm off to fight no. ISIS. <laughs> really? well, I, I, didn't, I didn't necessarily use those words. I'm yeah, like, Look, yeah. I'm gonna join this band of merry men who are doing this. You know? Did the band of Merry Men have a name? Was it like yeah, the YPG? Okay, yeah. so uh, so yeah, they were like fly to this city in Iraqi Kurdistan. So I did that, and then when I arrived, I called this number. So I called the number. Hello, <laughs> yes, yes, he's here. Yes, okay. He's like he'll be here in ten minutes. Well, that was when it got very real. I was like, okay, fuck, this guy's gonna meet me in ten minutes. He's coming here. So. Uh, I was like, right, so I went into the toilet, started splashing water on my face, and I'm like, right, like, and then all the, you know, the second doubts were like, fuck, is this real? Is your man real? Like, yeah. Like, is this, like, what's going on? So I'm looking at the Facebook page, like, rechecking, going, is this real, you know? So then um, I had this little skinning knife, like, for skinning fish, you know, it's like a little knuckle duster with a blade that comes out. So I was like, ended up duct taping it to my back and uh, just panicked, you know, and so I, sat back in the in the lobby and I'm watching people coming and going, you know, so like some old man walks in, I'm like, yeah, fucking take him, you know. <laughs> He's like 90 years old, definitely <laughs> do him. And then just trying to suss who, who it's gonna be, you know, and then this absolutely slippery customer came in. I was like, please don't be him, please don't be him. He's like, Kelvin, yeah, get in the van. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> when you say slippery, what, what looks slippery? Just oh, like, ah, he just had this really, you know, the, the shitty goatee and the, 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 the shitty belt buckle and the pointy shoes. It was just like, <laughs> oh, God. So um, so we get into the into the into the van and we're driving and there's no talk you know at all. So then we pull up to this apartment block and then uh, it's like right we're here you know. But um, sorry I, I have to go back a bit. So like the night before I ended up missing a flight and uh, there were these two American lads who were on on that flight and I remember because the lads asked you to be subtle. They're like don't look like you're coming over here to run amok you know. Make sure you look like you're coming over to buy carpets or something. So these two American lads, they were just the most Emperor looking dudes ever, you know, loud fucking yeah, you know. And uh, they had matching, like the most marine looking boots I'd ever seen, you know. So anyway, we, me and the, your man, we get into the apartment and there's a woman uh, sitting on a chair and she's got a kid and he's in a Spider-Man costume, or Superman costume, sorry. 
And I was like, fucking ISIS, you devils. That's exactly what I would do if I was trying to hoodwink someone. I'd stick a woman there and I'd have a kid in a Superman suit so we'd feel cool and then we'll chop his head off. <laughs> so I'm walking up the stairs behind him and I'm like, fuck, what the fuck are you doing? So uh, just as we got to the top, I took the blade out from my back and I'm kind of walking behind him with, with the blade in my hand. And uh, he opens the door and he, he just walks in and and he's gone, you know. So I'm just standing there in the hall with a fucking knife in my hand, just going, do I go through this door or not, you know? But then I look on the ground and I could see the two matching pairs of American boots. So I was like, they're the boots from last night, you know? So then I stuck my head in, and as I stuck my head in the door, this Danish guy stuck his head out the door, he's brushing his teeth, he's like, hello. I'm like, fuck, <laughs> hi. And he's like, oh, were you thinking of killing him? <laughs> I was like, I don't know, he's like, I was. Yeah. I might yeah. have taught yeah. him naming him yeah. slightly about two minutes ago. Yeah. So, uh, so then I you know, kicked off my shoes, rocked in, opened the door, and there's just Hotel Babylon, you know, people from all over in there. So many people were in this place. It's a hotel that uh, it's just filled with foreigners. apartments. Yeah, so okay. they just had this one apartment and there was about uh, 15 lads in it Okay. from, from everywhere, you know. So then um, the driver from the car came up and was like, who here has the most experience? So it turns out the two American lads were like, yep. So they were like, right, you're on phase two. So they fecked off and then your man was like, right, you're going to be here for about a week and uh, you're not allowed to leave. Uh, if you need that, and someone will go out and get it for you. So just sit tight and, you know, enjoy the TV. <laughs> so uh, let me get this right. You spent, how long did you spend in this kind of, in these apartments? How long did you spend there? I was there? there for about eight days. And were you allowed to make phone calls? Were you allowed to contact people at home? Were you yeah, 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 yeah. That was no yeah, problem. Yeah, they were cool with that, yeah. They were just like, don't kind of do your location thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly. <laughs> so yeah. then what happened after that week there? Where did so then uh, I was like, right, time for you uh, to go to phase two. So phase two is you're going to a guerrilla camp up the mountains about four hours away, and then you're gonna sit there uh, on your ass for a while until the next phase. But as that happened, I got a phone call from my legal representative here going, look, I, I had a legal thing going on at the time. And um, it was like, look, uh, your, your case is coming up in three and a half weeks. So uh, you're good to it. I was like, <laughs> I'm actually in the middle of something here. <laughs> you know? I'm actually throwing my life away in, in a wreck. Do you mind? So he's like, ah, look, like, yeah, you need to be back for this. So I'm like, well, look, uh, is there any chance we can postpone it? And he's like, yeah, yeah. She was like, look, I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, let's see what we can do. So get up to the mountains. And then we, we, like, we're going deep into the mountains. Like we're crossing streams and doing all this. Like, and um, we pull in and you can't see a camp, you know? It's just like, right, walk up that hill. So we walk up. And then um, when we get to the, the top of the hill, we just start seeing lads coming out of the trees, you know? And it was just like, these are PKK guys. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Okay, we're going to a PKK guerrilla camp. So anyone who doesn't know the PKK, it's um, they're Turkish separatists, Kurdish separatists, uh, who are at war with the Turkish government at the moment, but they, they're kind of based in northern Iraq in the mountains because they're, they're, they're not operating in Turkey anymore. So not necessarily a place you want to be because, you know, the Turkish army are very good at, you know, droning things. And this is their number one target, you know? So it's kind of like, fuck, how long are we gonna be here? Ah, I was like, I'd be here two weeks. So got up and started meeting all the other lads and they've been there, you know, met an Irish lad up there. Like, you met an Irish lad yeah, up there? Yeah, yeah. Wow, there's two of you. Like, <laughs> I'm just shocked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then um, some English lads. You must have, sorry. You must have 
Because you're not going from a military background, right? Mm, no. You're not going from some massive military background. So you just must have incredible nerve or self-control. Are you quite steely and calm and cool? You must be, because um, anyone else would run a fucking mile if they were in those situations, kind of. Yeah, no, no. I, you're I, quite I, calm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was just thought, and like, you know, being surrounded by good people helps. And then the purpose of you being there, I know, I know it's because it could come across that you know it's it's all very nonchalant. But obviously, you're driven. Mm. You're driven by something inside you that wants to make a difference. You know that that can't stand for what you're seeing because yeah. a lot of people they have an ability to just convince themselves and forget. Do you get me? They yeah. can just go, okay, do you know what? That's awful what's happening there. But do you know what? I'm going to put on Netflix now and I'm just going to yeah. switch yeah. out. But but you can't do that. No. <laughs> Which is amazing. I, ju I just think it's unbelievable. But sorry, go on. Go yeah, on. so... Um, Keep off these enlightenments about sorry. you. So this, this English guy ended up, um, you know, because the way the British government were handling Brits going out, you know, they were kind of treating them as terrorists, you know. Even though they're all like ex-military lads who'd fought in Iraq before, you know. So one guy, his, his calf got raided and, like, they took his PlayStation and everything. So they ended up, his mum called him, and I was like, oh, there's a lad here from MI5, you know. And then your man ended up telling him exactly where he was, you know. So word got out in the camp that this fella took a call from MI5 on a smartphone. And so the lads, the, our hosts were like, right, everyone give us your shit. Like, no one's contacting anyone. And I was like, okay, so everyone's handing over laptops. I was like, uh, Mr. Commander, uh, I need to make a phone call in about two weeks. So can I have my phone back to make a phone call? He's like, yeah, yeah, cool, no worries. Uh, I'll just make sure someone who speaks English is beside you that you're not being a fucking idiot. So two weeks rolled around, so I phoned home. It's like, look, you have to come home. So I had to turn around to the commander going, then, I have a little thing back in Ireland, so I need to leave now and go back to Ireland. And your man's like, yeah, that's fine. you know. So that day, two American guys came up, and the car that took them up took me back to the safe house. you know. So I was, And I was like, these lads are going to kill me, like, you know, they're just being all nice and then they're going to stuff me in the boot and then they're going to bury me in the mountains and I'll never be found, you know. I really thought this was going to happen, but uh, turns out the PKK aren't like that. <laughs> so, yeah, so I ended up back in Dublin and beating my case. And now I'm back working in special needs. So I start feeling the drum of it again. One of the happiest times I had in my life was in that, in that guerrilla camp. There was nothing there, like, no radio, no TV, no phones, no nothing, just yourself and the mountains and I absolutely love it. It was the happiest couple of weeks of What my life. was it about it that made you so happy? Nothing like and it was it's a beautiful part of the world. It's very peaceful, you know. Uh, and yeah, even the PKK, they were lovely people, mad for volleyball. They had a volleyball court and everything. <laughs> They're fucking spacers, you know. So I, I was just there was there was nothing to do but pass the time, you know, and kind of think about the next what's going on next, you know. And I loved it. So then I was like Military logistics. What the fuck were you thinking? So I got back in touch. I was like, "Here, look, I'm, I'm a, I work in healthcare. You know, are you looking for people in a civilian healthcare capacity? You know, I was like, look, I can administer a, a, a medication. I can wipe ass. I can drive very well, in my opinion. Is that any use to you? And they're like, yeah, okay, get back in touch, fly back. So I did the whole thing again, and then. Uh, when I landed, it was like, okay. Uh, and what, is, what was the political situation with Syria at that time? What year are you, are you talking about? This is about? 2016, the start of 2016. Okay, right. Yeah, so it was, it was, it was full, 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 yeah. yeah. So, um, 
So, uh, you know, Turkey had stepped up their fight against the PKK. So, uh, as far as I'm aware, the camp doesn't exist anymore now. So, um, there was like, right, there's no mountain time. You're driving straight in tonight. So, it was like, okay. And during the day, an American and an Egyptian lad came in. Um, so, the American was coming back to fight. He'd fought already for the guys. And then the Egyptian was coming over to work for the Kurdish revolution in media. So, that night we set off and we got up near the border. And then they're like, right, wait here. <laughs> so then this, this truck pulls up uh, with two Peshmerga, Peshmerga, the Iraqi Kurdish army, and uh, they get out, and then these three American guys get out in Peshmerga uniforms. So they're like, oh man, fucking, you're going to have a trip, you know? So like they start taking their uniforms off, like stick that on. So we stu stuck the uniforms on. So now we're dressed up as Peshmerga. And duck to water? Duck to water. That's <laughs> 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 right. No, I have my own fake beard, actually, <laughs> that I carry everywhere with me. Come on, anyway. So the guy is like, uh, you know, uh, so uh, if anyone speaks English to you, don't speak English back to them. You know, just shut your hole and we'll get through this. So we went through a ton of checkpoints and then you know, we realized, you know, that the Iraqi Kurdish flags turned into the Syrian Kurdish flags, you know. So then your man is like, welcome to Syria. And we're like, okay. So we get dropped at a barn, you know. So your man's like, get out. So we get out and he's like, take them uniforms off. So take the uniforms off. He's like, right, somebody will be here to pick you up in about half an hour. <laughs> he just fucked off. So the three of us are just standing in a barn. <laughs> and then, you know, there's lads coming out of the woodwork, all these, the, the YPG Kurdish guys. So, uh, and like, we're, we're kind of congratulating each other. Like, yeah, we made it, you know. And... It's weird, I think, at that time because out of the three of us, one of us was gonna get shot multiple times, and another fella be dead within six months. You know, so out of the out there, out of the three of us, yeah, I was the only one who who didn't get scathed. So um, we were taken to the international uh, facility or the academy, as they call it, and then there's tons of lads from uh, and women from all over the world. So we meet the commander and he's like, so you've come over to fight? And he's just like, <laughs> I'm like, no, I've come over to work in a hospital. So, sorry, when I was in the, in the Iraqi mountains, like the, the Kurds give you a name. So like, you know, they couldn't be arsed remembering all these Western names. And uh, so they kind of hang out with you for a few days and then go, right, this is your name. So the name I was given was Runi, which means the light. I was like, that's... Thanks, you know, that's, that's nice, you know. And then there was an American there who just fucking moaned the whole time, you know. He was like, oh, this food sucks, oh, this fucking sucks, oh, everything smells, it sucks. So his name was like, your name is Hamgin. And he's like, what's that mean? It sounds like come again. It's like, your name means friend of unhappiness. <laughs> so I was like, zing, you know. So, um, so when I got to the, the academy, um, they're supposed to give you your surname. So the commander just looked at me and was like, what's your name? I was like, Ronnie. He's like, your second name is Ronahi. I was like, what's that mean? It's like, it's the female version of Ronnie. So I didn't know whether it was a, uh, taking a stab at me, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, you know, for not stepping up to fight. But then again, you know, because the Kurdish women, they're the real army out there. So uh, I don't know if there was a, a dig in anything behind yeah, it. Yeah, you know? yeah. So then he's like, well, you know, with this academy, you have to go through the, the one month training program. Like no one leaves here without it. Um, so basically, you have to learn loads of different weapons. You have to learn Kurdish, and then you have to learn the teachings of Abdullah Ocalan, who is the leader of the PKK. So every day we have to go to class, and we have to, to sit through these readings, and then we have to learn the language, and then, you know, then you, okay, we're going to go out, and here's an AK-47. This is how it works. This is how you take it apart. This is how you fire it. This is how you zero it. Any questions, you know? And we did that with various... Uh, weapons so then uh, eventually our, our day came so being a civilian 
um, I had to go to uh, so all the lads usually go off to different kind of tabors they're called like uh, military units and but I was going civilian so I had to go to a, a political house and then I was like right you're gonna go and work with the Kurdish Red Crescent who are the the main healthcare provider and emergency service people of northeastern Syria Wow <laughs> Wow that's that's a long way to get there, isn't it? I'd, how how does it change the way you look at the world? Like I, I, like spending time with with like say military fractions like that, and then I know you were you were doing the civilian stuff, and but you kind of discovered yourself that you didn't want to be part of the other mm, thing. Yeah. Um, but even even you were saying earlier on that three of you arrived, but the other two guys, yeah. how did they how did they come to their demise um, well Matt survived um, he's a dude from Kansas and um, he was in a, a unit what were they called again 223 so it was all just highly skilled American operators who like operated on them on their own and uh, he was they were in, it was the Battle of Manbeige which was the last operation that I worked on so they were crossing an alleyway so like you know one guy's on point and he runs someone covers and then someone you know covers him and covers him and he was the last guy so when he ran out someone opened up on him and he got hit five times in the midsection uh, one hit him in the dick as well so um, that would do it yeah yeah and then Faraz unfortunately um, he he had come for media purposes but I think um, after a month or two he got very disjointed with that and ended up going fighting and he got shot oh no he an American guy one of the Americans who came up to replace me in the mountains from the last time he got shot by a sniper and killed and Faraz I think went out after him to bring him back and there was an IED on the wall just waiting for Faraz to walk into it. What's an IED? An intelligent explosive device so it's just like a, a bomb and there's someone looking at it with a detonator just waiting for something to come in front of it and bang you know. So that. What about you did you like th I suppose that's what the question I was trying to ask was like it, being in that environment how does it change how you look at the world? Well, I think in Syria at the time it was really the arsehole of the world, you know, just so many horrible, horrible things were happening. So, um, but I don't know, I, I was aware that the, the world can be an unforgiving place and can be a fucked up place, you know, so just trying to find my way in it, you know. What was, invo what was involved with being a medic? Like, it, was, it, was it rewarding for you? Did you, did you enjoy being a medic? Um, it was kind of tough because a lot of people say, oh, like, you know, it must have been a buzz out there saving lives. And, like, you know, we didn't really save anybody, you know. <laughs> you know, I stacked more bodies than I cared. That's so hard. That's so hard to go home with. Yeah, yeah. And I remember we had one girl uh, during the, we were in the frontline hospital and a girl died. Or a girl was bought in and I remember just watching. So this guy was just running towards us. You know, we started looking and he was carrying a girl. So he ran into the, uh, to the to the hospital and we laid her out in a bed and uh, it was like right Ronnie start doing CPR and I'd never done CPR on anyone before so just started going for it and I was like I am saving this person I'm saving it you know so then after like two minutes the doctor's like nah fucking leave it you know I was like no saving this person I'm saving this person and we gave gave it another two minutes and you know she was gone we didn't even know how long she was dead you know because it was 50 degrees so you know the body was still yeah, warm yeah. 
and you know she could have been dead half an hour um, we don't know you know so just there was a lot of uh, moments like that you know and then you, you came back again or, or what was the situation then you stayed out there for a while yeah I was there for six months but then after this the commercial suicide bombing you know I ended up on 6-1 because uh, Sharon Tobin she ended up getting in touch with me going hey are you in Kamishlo? I'm like I am she's like did you hear about the bomb I was like I did hear about the bomb yeah you know and she's like well look do you want to go on 6-1 tonight and I was like let's roll so uh, we did a pre-record at 1 and then it was broadcast at 6 so it was on my dad's birthday so my dad was in Davy Burns for some reason he, he goes to Davy Burns for his birthday every year and they had the news on in the corner w with the sound off you know so my family are just there and then it's like 6-1 news and then it's just my very wobbly <laughs> mobile phone footage of absolute carnage and then the camera going to me, rabbit in the headlights, like, ooh, you know. So my dad's like, that's my son up there, you know, fucking turn it up. And then, like, I had mates who were, you know, sitting in the airport waiting for flights, just, like, looking at the telly with their mouths open and, holy shit, you know. So I got a lot of calls, a lot of texts, and it was just like, look, Calvin, just, you know, you've done your bit. And, like, while we were there, we raised a ton of money uh, for Syria as well, like, 36,000 quid or something okay. which out there is about 8.8 billion dollars yeah. it's a lot of money yeah. I know the dark times out there what mm. what was what were the good times what were the, the moments that you took back and you felt like um, was it was it all madness all the time like no was no no I guess the resilience of, of people you know so um, the day after the bombing um, because it was such a big one and most people died when their apartment blocks collapsed with the blast you know so we were doing house checks, you know, checking up on people, like if they got a bit of shrapnel through the window and they needed stitches like that, you know. So we went down to start knocking on doors and uh, we got to the, to the bomb site and right beside it, there's about 25 kids playing pole soccer as if nothing ever happened, like just running around. So then I jumped in like that, had one of these, it was like, it used to be a football, but now it's like a rock yeah, with yeah. the size of an Olympic handball. So I'm in there trying to nutmeg them and making it fucking easier out of myself. <laughs> And um, whatever shot, and like a lot of shops got leveled, you know, they got their fronts blasted out, but whatever shop didn't get blasted out was open for business, you know? So it was just like <sighs> straight back into trying to keep it normal, you know? That was absolutely mind-boggling that, you know, they had the resilience to do that, you know? Amazing what people them. are, it, 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 yeah. isn't it? So what was the process for you then to leave Syria? Because I know you probably have the what did you get, did you get you smuggled out then I suppose? yeah yeah so like um after the the, the commission of bombing so i was like look boss i family need to get out of here so he's like cool i'll vouch for you so we we had to go back through t to the ypg to go right look calvin's served his time he's raised as low as much so the commander was there like raised as low as much fair play to you like, oh you did well done oh, and you didn't sleep for three days when you were dealing with that excellent and then so i was like right so can he go out on the next buzz? And he's like, how long are you here? I was like, five months in a week. He's like, well, you have three weeks left in your contract, so come back to me in three weeks. But then, um, because getting out of Syria, because the Kurds, they kind of adapt to whatever situation they're in. You know? So this way was to just walk through the mountains for eight hours, but it has to be done in the middle of the night, and it has to be done on the day where there's no moon, or the day either side of it. So there's, minute. I don't know what that, is that the crescent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're the three days where the mountains are very active in Kurdistan. So um, so I'm like fucking, oh, 
five months, three more weeks, but then I have to wait another three weeks because of this moon, you know. So there was about 15 of us, and the guy at the front, he's got night vision goggles on, and he's like, just keep an eye on the feet on the person in front of you, just keep walking. How long yeah. does this take to, to, to get through these kind of, to get to try and smuggle out? About eight hours. Wow. Eight or nine hours, yeah. So then Tense eight hours as well, yeah. right? It's so obviously then, uh, hairy. Like, yeah. tell me this. You know, when you're you're you you spent a lot of time in in lots of these places, do you find do you see a huge difference between you and and the people in the places you go to, or do you see similarities? Oh yeah, you're very similar. When you know, you take the the small things out of it, we're all the same. Because because there's that uh, there's that feeling from some people who don't travel to those places. Mm. You know, if you've never been to Chad, say for yeah, example, yeah, yeah. you know where you just think, oh, it's like a different planet. But yeah, but it's yeah. scary how similar people are, really. Yeah, yeah. And like you know, when people think of like Iraq, you know, like they have all these images of evil people and dodginess, mm -hmm. but you know, just like like. Like when I was living in Syria, um, everything was normal the whole time. And then, you know, there was a battle that just kicked off at a checkpoint and then the whole city went tits up for three days and everyone had to leave the city because it was that intense. But after the ceasefire, back to business. People are shopping, people are getting married. It's mad how a place can just change. My mum my mum used to say, my mum lived in Tripoli. I was born in Tripoli and she was saying like, like, it was just the Paris in 60s. Mm. It was the Paris of yeah. the Middle East. It was like the most gorgeous. Same with Syria, right? Syria in the Arab world, like yeah. we were Egyptian. So, but in, in the in the Arab world, like it's beautiful, right? It's it's an amazing place. But all of yeah. a sudden, something just happens, and the whole place turns upside down. I suppose mm. we we can appreciate it from um, Ireland and the North and everything yeah. like that. How something can just yeah. a fuse, yeah. isn't it? And um, tell me, it must mean a, a, an awful lot to you because of the shit that you've had to go through <laughs> to go to these places to help people. But, but what does it mean to you? Like, what do you, what do you get out of it? Or why do you care so much? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm not saying that I don't give a shit about myself. I clearly do. But um, I don't know if you can just help anyone to do it, you know? Tell me about yeah. the Scoop Foundation. What, what's the story with that now and how, okay, what type so of work are you doing? Right, so my brother set it up in 2009 and I'd kind of volunteer with him a bit. I'd kind of help him out with um, fundraisers and different things like that. But um, when I came back from Syria, you know, I kind of came home amped and pumped. I was like, look, um, let's set up a campaign called Serious Vibes and um, let's focus on Syria so um, you know we started doing fundraisers for Syria and it really gave the organization to kick up the arse and you know um, started to get a lot of great work done so then I started working for Scoop full-time and in the Middle East now because uh, Syria it's, it's a very tricky place to kind of get in and out of even though now I you know I'm kind of established out there and I can get in legally now yeah yeah which is great <laughs> But yeah, it's just very hard to access. So like in Iraq, we're running kind of uh, online education programs um, for Yazidis. So the Yazidis were, uh, or are an ethno-religious minority who uh, were severely damaged by the Islamic State back in 2014. So there's 300,000 of them living in camps um, in the northern region of Dahuk. 
uh, in, in Iraqi Kurdistan. So we're working in one of those camps and um, we do in-situ stuff as well. So like, you know, instead of telling the kids, oh, you're gonna learn this or that, it's like, what do you wanna learn? So a lot of the kids, they wanted to learn art, like some of them have never painted or drawn before. Um, and then some kids, like they love computer games. So like we wanna learn how to make games. So we just find the right people in Ireland and bring them over, you know? So we're teaching programming, coding, um, and now we're moving into STEM subjects and um, we're, we're gonna be rolling out a massive uh, edu education program in December. And is that the ethos of the company, or of Scoop, is uh, the charity is to, g to go out there and just try to help young people in, yeah, in yeah, those kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're, we're also, you know, uh, after COVID, you know, because we were grounded, so like we'd, we'd set up a, a, a partnership at Mountjoy Prison with their sewing school. So um, the lads had knocked it, like they, they make the tells in this uh, sewing circle in, in uh, Mountjoy. So I was like, well, look, I'll, I'll bring out a lot of tells for the girls football team and you can emboss them as you want, you know? So the lads uh, they ended up stitching like shamrocks with what's the story and all that, you know? So I had to explain to the girls like, what's the story, what it meant, you know? It doesn't mean literally what's this. Yeah, yeah, it, you know, yeah. Kind of yeah. So, um, but then I, I had arrived and then uh, I was supposed to be there for three weeks and then three days later, COVID just started rolling through. It was like, you need to get out of here now. So, um, so yeah, we hadn't been back until August of this year, you know. So um, in that time, we were grounded in Ireland. So we're like, well, you know, COVID is really fucking, up, fucking Ireland up now. So like, let's kind of focus on that. So people in the rec revision weren't getting a look in when people were knocking out PPE. So we said, right, we're gonna do that as well. The homeless services were struggling as well, we knew. So yeah, we just started sourcing PPE, giving them to homeless services and direct revision centers. And then like the more direct revision centers we accessed, we're like, right, let's just roll out our program in the rec revision. So right now, um, actually today, we have um, five lads starting an Ableton music production course. So we provide them with the software, they get a Mac, um, and they get hardware, like a push unit and headphones and all that, and then they get one-on-one -on -one tuition for five weeks, and then they get to keep the stuff as well after, because there's no point in showing someone all this technical, oh, this is, and then cheers. Yeah, you know. it's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we've, we've, we've that on the, on the go, and uh, next week we're starting a Scoop Recruit, which is to teach uh, young asylum seekers how to apply for jobs, uh, interview skills, CV building, and stuff like that. So we're rolling that out with seventy-five people. I think that I think yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Do you know what? Yeah. Like, I, I'll tell you what I get from you. You're very modest because even when I'm asking you why you do this stuff, you can't even answer me, which is amazing <laughs> to me. But I tell you, there's not a lot of people that would put themselves out like that to yeah. to just help people who need it. And even the fact that I know you were out there, and I know you probably helped lots of people. But I suppose. Um, some of those situations are just so uh, overwhelming mm. that it can feel like you probably, you, you know, you feel like you're not putting a dent in something, but mm. I'm 100% I'm sure you are. I love what Scoop does. I've, um, we've met before and I think, it, I think it's a brilliant charity. I'm so glad you came in to chat to me. All right, it's all, you're just, I don't say this lightly, you are a mad fuck, man. You are, you are a mad man, you yeah, do. There's some sort of method to it, a little but, bit, a little bit. But it may, I, I, in some crazy way, I, I can make sense of it. You need, you need a nice weekend, like John John, to, to Ibiza, where you just sit in a boat <laughs> and, and smoke cigarettes and drink um, you know, funny colored drinks out of awkward glasses. <laughs> do that for a week as well, you know? And then, uh, I was actually in Ravello two weeks ago. Oh, well then, well then, well then. 
but um, still paying for it. But, but man, you're, you're, I could talk to you all day. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> Calvin, thanks so much for coming no, in. Thanks for me. No, I appreciate it, pal. Isn't he just horizontal? Isn't he? He's so he's so kind. He, when he tells the story, he never just loses it. He just stays very calm about the mad and the maddest words are coming out of his mouth. That's the weird thing about it is that like the shit that he's saying and it's like, no, then that happened. Yeah, <laughs> just he's just he's am, he's amazing. And listen, you can find out more of what Calvin's up to uh, and his charity Scoop and uh, and all the things they've planned. They're a brilliant charity. You can check them out at the scoopfoundation.org. Uh, do you know what what Calvin does is uh, on a, a is is on such a huge terrifying scale, but. But I think that kind of kindness and being charitable is like a, a a muscle you kind of have to build up to. I think I think you have to open your mind to it. It's like keeping your eye out for something, you know, for an opportunity where you can help. Like I like an old two thousand and nine Volkswagen Golf. Do you know what I mean? If you're looking for one, you're looking for one. You need, you know you you kind of your radar is on, and it's the same thing. You just you have to pay attention to kind of people around you and, and what you can do to make make their lives easier and that sounds really wordy i don't mean it in a really worthy sense i just mean in in a moment of kindness and goodness that you can kind of do for other people an act of kindness however tiny any simple gesture it can just make such an improvement to someone's day like i've had it done to me and i love it and then i've done it to other people and i felt really good afterwards as well and then on a larger scale helping uh, helping when you, when you just that's part of your nature i think not being overwhelmed by the bigger problems out there you know you don't get scared by them like i think one of the best ways is just volunteering your time um one of the best ways just to improve your life and 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 the life of others is sometimes just donating your time and it allows you to connect with you know your community and make it a better place volunteer you know work you can participate and as much as your schedule allows you to or whatever you see fit you know you can do it at local schools at food banks local parks and you can teach someone a skill do you know what i mean that comes in very handy for people offer assistance to a local uh, animal shelter or retirement home or you know there's loads of things out there but even on a human scale i've had people help me out just teach me things just just show me things give me time and give me kindness and it's uh I know, I'm preaching. Do you feel me? You don't give it, yeah, you feel me? Yeah. See, that's a slow clap. I'll take your slow clap. Thank you very much. Hi. Listen, uh, it has been the good, the bads and the ugly. You can, do you share? Share this, you can share it with people. You could like it, you could subscribe. Follow. You can follow, there's a rating system. Did yeah. we mention that? You can get me on social media, all the usual spots, Instagram, uh, Naked Wednesday. Every Wednesday's a big hitter. Nude Wednesdays. Nude Wednesdays, yeah. Or you can get me on. Uh, uh, that's at Baz Ashman. Uh, at Bashman. I always get me stuff. You'd be surprised now. You'd be getting nude stuff on Wednesdays. You don't want that, do you? Oh, send me nudes. Thank you, please. I'll take what I get. Um, uh, and that's pretty much it. Um, you're playing a blinder, lads. Half time. We're doing well. Good luck in the cup. All right. <laughs>